ಸಹನಾವಸ್ತುಮಾಶಾವಹೆ So, Katopanishad, this is our second class and uh, today we are going to begin by looking at the peace chant, the Sahana Vavatu. This is uh, quite, it's very well known. What does it mean exactly? Um, so, I'm going to explain on the basis of Shankaracharya's commentary. Now, Shankaracharya has not Uh, written a commentary on the peace chant in this Upanishad, but in the Taittiriya Upanishad, um, you come across the same peace chant in the second um, section, the Brahmanandavalli of the Taittiriya Upanishad. So there the same Sahana Vavatu is there. And there Shankaracharya actually explains, uh, gives a commentary on the Sahana Vavatu. What does it mean, this peace chant? So Sahana Vavatu, Sahana Vavatu, you, you understand it, you read it as Saha Nau Avatu. Saha, together, Nau, both of us, the two of us, teacher and taught, Guru and Shishya, the two of us. Avatu, may the Lord protect both of us. Here, when you, the prayer is always addressed to Brahman. But in what sense Brahman? Not in the sense of the absolute reality, the sense of God, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, Bhagavan. So we pray to Saguna Brahman, may Uh, you be gracious and protect both of us, um, the teacher and the taught. Saha nau avatu. Next, saha nau bhunaktu. May Ishwara or Bhagavan be gracious and uh, bless us with the results of the study. Bhunaktu means let us enjoy or experience the results. What are the results? Ultimately, the results of the study of Upanishads will be uh, enlightenment and freedom from suffering, attainment of fulfillment. So freedom from suffering and attainment of fulfillment are the ultimate results. Of course, though, that's not said here directly. Just said, let us both enjoy the results of this study. Bhunaktu is, means to experience or enjoy by the grace of Bhagavan. Then next, Saha Viryam Karavavahe. Let us both do varying um, means powerful or effective here it just means let us both have the capacity for knowledge so the capacity for knowledge we remember that in vedanta the qualifications for knowledge are the fourfold qualifications if you remember viveka vairagya the sixfold treasure and um, this mumukshutvam uh, intense desire to be free So when we enter into Vedanta, these qualifications are necessary. These make us qualified um, uh, as seekers of Vedanta. With these qualifications, this study will lead to enlightenment and freedom. Uh, and these qualifications all of us have as seekers, but they have to be at a certain level of excellence. So all of this, Shankaracharya simply says, uh, let us have the samatya, the capacity for this vidya, for this knowledge. That is the meaning of Saha Viryam Karavavahe. Just by the way, these qualifications for Vedanta, the fourfold qualifications, when we read texts, much later texts like Vedanta Sara, it's all neat and geometrical. You know, you enter into Vedanta, what is the objective of Vedanta, who is qualified, what are the fourfold qualifications. But when we have gone back to the source, like the Upanishads, right now what we are doing, we will begin to see how what we read in these earlier texts, like in this later text, like Vedanta Sara, they are a systematization of materials gathered from these Upanishads. So as we go into this Upanishad, for example, we'll see how the same qualities are found here, but they are scattered and you have to dig, find them out, and then ultimately systematize. And later in texts like, you know, uh, Vedanta Sara, Vivek Churamani, it seems very neat, um, that fourfold qualification. But where did they come from? How did you get them? We'll see in these texts. Anyway, saha viryam karavavahi, let us have the capacity for knowledge, both of us, by the grace of God, by the grace of Sagunda Brahman, Ishwara, Bhagavan. 
tejasvi nau adhitam astu. Let our study be luminous. Uh, luminous means the capacity to understand what has been taught. Artha dharana. Shankaracharya says the capacity to understand. And here understanding is just not understanding what has been taught in the text or by the teacher. <clears throat> here understanding means up to the level of enlightenment. Up to the level of Brahma Jnana, the realization that I am Brahman, by the grace of God, by the grace of Ishwara, let, let that happen by, by the blessings of the Lord. Ma vidvishavahe, may we not have friction, misunderstanding, quarrels between teacher and taught. So once again, Sahana Bhavatu, by the grace of the Lord, may we both be protected, teacher and the taught. Sahana Bhunaktu, uh, may we both enjoy the results of this study, which is ultimately enlightenment, freedom from suffering, attainment of fulfillment, the goal of human life. Sahaviryam Karavavahe, may we have the strength, the qualifications for this quest, this spiritual journey. Tejasvi uh, astu. The two of us, may we have the qualifications, uh, may we have the capacity to understand this knowledge. Tejasvi means radiant, luminous. May our study be radiant or luminous, which means may the meaning of these texts, this what we are studying, may it become clear to us and uh, meaning to the extent of realization, enlightenment. Ma vidvishavahe, may there be no uh, disagreement, uh, quarrel, uh, friction between teacher and taught. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace, peace. Three kinds of obstacles uh, are there. There is um, uh, adhyatmic obstacles to study and to the ultimate realization. So here specifically it means the study and completion of the text. Three kind of, kinds of obstacles may arise. Adhyatmic means uh, related to the body and the mind. So body-mind problems could be ill health, it could be, um, you know, uh, depression, unhappiness, stress, so whatever it is, physical and mental uh, obstacles. So let there be no physical mental obstacles. That's the first piece. The second one is uh, adibhotic from other beings. Maybe the people who disturb you or cause anxiety to you, which may impact upon your study. Let that be also peaceful. And then finally, um, adidevic, natural causes whatever it is, uh, cyclones or uh, COVID or whatever it is, let uh, nature also be propitious unto us. The three types of possible obstacles, we say that let those obstacles, by the grace of God, the obstacles not be there for our study. So this is the meaning of the peace chant. Um, this is an Upanishad part of the Vedas and the Vedas, you know, the mass of spiritual truths revealed to the Rishis. Um, as the story goes, at, at one point, it was a mass, such a huge mass of literature is difficult to handle. So Krishna, Dvaipayana, the Rishi, he comes and he divides the Vedas into four parts. That's why he's called Veda Vyasa. Krishna Dvaipayana is called Veda Vyasa because of that. The one who categorized, classified, or divided the Vedas into four. Rig Veda, Sama Veda, Yajur Veda, and Atharva Veda. Each of them, they have their ritualistic portions and their Upanishadic or knowledge portions. This particular Upanishad belongs to the Yajur Veda. And Yajur Veda, for certain reasons, is divided into two more. Krishna Yajur Veda and Shukla Yajur Veda, the so-called dark and the white Yajur Veda. This Upanishad belongs to the Krishna Yajur Veda. Upanishad itself has um, two chapters. Adhyaya means chapters. So it has two chapters. Kato Upanishad has two chapters. And uh, each chapter has three sections. The sections are called Valli. Chapter is called Adhyaya. And the sections are called Valli. So six sections in all. Three in the first chapter, three in the second chapter. Altogether, there are 119 mantras. Notice, whatever you find in the Upanishads, these texts, are uh, because they are part of the Veda, they are called mantras. 
you may find a verse a shloka but in upanishad you won't call it a shloka it's a mantra whereas verses in the same mantra in fact is quoted by krishna in the gita but then gita it will be a shloka it's a verse so this uh, the very prestige of belonging to the veda it, it shows that these are mantras of the vedas so 119 mantras spread across six sections two chapters 119 and if you include the shanti mantra sahana vavatu then 120 so 120 mantras it is not as huge as the brihadaranyaka or chandogya which are massive texts not as tiny as the uh, mandukya which is the shortest of the upanishads so it's sort of a middle range upanishad uh, something like mundaka upanishad um then katha upanishad um your aitareya uh, prashna these are all middle length even to some extent you might say the taittiriya um, they are all sort of middle sized upanishads all right so that's a little bit of background and shankaracharya has written the commentary which i'll be uh, using for explaining the upanishad what else do i say all right so now we are going to start the upanishad the first mantra now there is a beautiful way of chanting the upanishad and it's done in belur math it's very uplifting but it requires you to be a little musical i am not so i won't even attempt it i'll just read it out uh, chapter 1 section 1 mantra 1 om ushan havai vajashravas sarva veda samdado ियलटी Uh, wealth he had a son called nachiketa he had a son called nachiketa so this is the meaning of the first mantra so straight away now we see we have started a story and you can see the difference between something like mandukya upanishad and this one so mandukya upanishad was all business it immediately got down to waking state dream state deep sleep state and the fourth the witness consciousness and uh, a certain meditation using om and finished and the commentary on that by godapada was highly philosophical very subtle divided into four chapters um, one chapter to explain the upanishad itself the second chapter to prove the falsity of the world using very subtle arguments third chapter to prove the um, the reality of brahman using very subtle arguments and the last fourth chapter to deal with various objections different points of view and all of that so four chapters and all very philosophical no time for storytelling but here it starts off with come let me tell you a story so it's very nice most of the upanishads are actually like this there are always stories now why a story so just by the way um someone might wonder so is it is it historical was there actually a little boy called nachiketa who went to the house of death and asked these questions so was there a teacher called yama a little boy called nachiketa um we don't know really and you'd be surprised you would expect that a traditional teacher would um say yes all this is true but no a traditional teacher will actually deny it you know why because the moment you say that these are historical figures then it places the upanishads and therefore the vedas in time where is an important thing that the vedas are timeless so a traditional teacher will always say this nachiketa and uh, yamaraja's the story that god of death and the little boy nachiketa and all the stories and all such stories are just devices for um, for praising for, for glorifying the knowledge and teaching so they are ways of teaching us uh, that's all 
you understand why they, they are hesitant to say these are historical figures. They don't want it, it to be like fixed in a particular time. So if Nachiketa was actually a little boy, there must be a time when he was born. And so the Upanishad must have come after him. And all that is completely unacceptable to the traditionalist. Oh, this is Upanishads, part of the Vedas, timeless. Okay, so these are called Akhyaikas. These stories which are embedded in the scriptures for a purpose. What is the purpose? We will see. Um, so the first purpose is that um, to show us certain things. For example, the importance of undergoing so much hardship to attain the knowledge of Brahman. So we'll see later on, um, the Upanishad will say, how Nachiketa goes to the house of death and there waits without food and drink for three days, waiting for the God of death to make his appearance to ask the questions, the fundamental questions about what happens after death. So um, we'll come across this line later on, little later. Tisro Ratri Grihe Anashnan Brahman Atithir Namasya. So the Yama, the God of Death says, O, o child, honored guest, you have stayed here for three nights without food or drink. Now, what does that mean? You have to put up with so much trouble for so much hardship for uh, in the search for enlightenment. Then we find things like, uh, for example, Vairagya, a complete dispassion for worldly pleasures. So Nachiketa will say, again, we'll come across it a little later. Shobhava Mattasya Yadanta Kaitat he will say to Yama, um, it'll come later, that it'll say to Yama that all these pleasures of the world, not only this world, heavens, the heavenly world, this earth and the heaven which people go to after death, all of these pleasures are temporary. They'll, they are here today, they are gone tomorrow. Not only that, they wear down our senses. Over time, we are worn out. Uh, not satisfied by our experiences of life, and we go on to death. These pleasures are of no use to me. Nachiketa will see he's, he's a little kid, maybe around 10 years old, a little less than that. And he uh, is quite cheeky. When Yama, we will see the god of death, will offer him all sorts of temptations, you know, singing and dancing and uh, racing cars, cars in those days, chariots. So what, anything that a little boy might want, he says, The little boy has the audacity to tell the god of death, keep your singing and dancing and chariots. You keep them. I don't want it. I want an answer to my questions. So, vairagya, dispassion. Then, the importance of listening again and again, because this is a very subtle um, teaching. We will see Nachiketa. Uh, the Upanishad will tell us later on, what is not understood even by repeated listening, what cannot be grasped even by logical argumentation. So it is a process which is little difficult. You have to go through that process of Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana again and again. All those things we'll see in the course of the story itself. Then the fact that by this knowledge, one can attain immortality. One can go beyond death. At this point, you'll be saying, all this we know. Yes, we know because we have studied Vedanta, Sara, and Aparoksha, Anubhuti, and Rigdrisha, Viveka. But where did it all come from? It comes from sources like this. So it is from these stories like this that all these ideas are extracted. So the central idea of Advaita Vedanta, by knowing Brahman, by realizing Brahman, by enlightenment, one goes beyond death. Where did this idea come from? That by knowledge one can go beyond death. Uh, here, Nichayatan Mrityu Mukhat Pramuchyate. It will come again a little later in this Upanishad. By realizing that Atman, one is freed from the jaws of death. It will come. So all of these things are, are going to be recovered from the story. By realizing the Atman, by realizing Brahman, one goes beyond sorrow. You have heard me. Say it endless times when I talk about Vedanta. But where did you get it? Where did these ideas, where did we get it? It's not original to um, Vidyaranya or 
Sadananda who wrote the Vedanta Sara, not even original to Shankara, not even original to Gaudapada. It is original to the Upanishads. We will hear soon. Matvadhiro Harsha Shokau Jahati. The, the spiritual seeker, the qualified spiritual seeker. Literally, Dhira means the patient one, the strong one. That one realizes. Having realized, Harsha Shokau Jahati goes beyond, gives up the pleasure and pain. Goes beyond pleasure and pain. Um, so, so many things uh, we get from this story. All this Shankaracharya just says, what is the point of this story? The story of the little boy Nachiketa who went to the house of death. The point is, Shankaracharya in his commentary says, Akhyaika Vidya Stutyartha. The story is for glorifying the knowledge which is going to be set out. What do you mean glorifying? By glorifying, we mean all these things. We learn so much from the story. This and many more things. For example, he says, um, Shishtachara. Not in this commentary. In another commentary, Shankaracharya says, values which are part of the Vedantic tradition. So the honor, the respect that we give to the spiritual teacher. We consider the spiritual teacher the guru, not just like a lecturer or a professor. Though in Indian tradition, because of this, this great respect given to the spiritual teacher, the same thing is transferred secondarily to all teachers. So all teachers are highly respected uh, because they transmit knowledge. Because the original idea was the guru transmits this spiritual knowledge found in the Upanishads, which is a saving knowledge, which takes you beyond sorrow, which takes you beyond death, which gives you fulfillment. So we have this shishtachara means the behavior of the cultured one, the behavior of the person who has these values. What kind of behavior? We'll bow down to the guru, we'll give respect to the guru. This is one thing. Um, so, for example, these peace chants which are done, or in the later text, you will see there's this mangalacharana, an auspicious chant at the beginning of the text. Every text had it. Um, this um, Vedanta Sar had. Akandam Satchidanandam, Avang Manasakocharam, if you remember. Then Aparokshanabhuti had. So this, these traditions are inculcated. So now you are praying for protection, that our study may be effective, that we may have the qualifications for the study, the obstacles may not come. Now one might say, all right, pray silently, pray in your, your mind. Why do you have to chant it together? So chanting it together means you are, the teacher is teaching the disciples. This is a value which is being transmitted and I am doing it, you do it too, and you teach it to those who will come after you. So this is called shishtachara, the, the values of the cultured one, of the person who is part of this tradition. This also we learn from the stories, the behavior of Nachiketa and so on. The importance of shraddha, um, we'll see immediately it will come a faith in what the text is saying and the teacher is saying, and a faith in oneself. All of that goes together, faith in oneself. Now, Swami Vivekananda said, the first thing which is necessary is a faith in oneself. Uh, I must believe that I can do it. Others before me have been able to do it. I too can do it. Most teachers talk about a faith in God. I was just thinking that um, what is the relationship between faith in God and faith in oneself? And I found it in the writing of Mahatma Gandhi. He says, only those who have faith in themselves can truly have faith in God. Those who truly have confidence in themselves can confidently believe somebody else, can believe God, for example. So it's a very good connection. Faith in yourself first, and then faith in God. All of this is Shraddha. Shraddha is translated as Astikya Buddhi. Astikya Buddhi means the conviction, it is so. There is something there in all of these teachings. There is some higher reality. I have firm, I don't know it yet. I'm not enlightened yet, but I have that much faith that is there. But I have also faith in the text. I have faith in the teacher. I have faith in myself. Very important. You'll see Nachiketa, will, the boy will show that he has faith in himself. And that I can do it. I can become enlightened. What Vivekananda did, I also can do. Now, let's come to the mantra itself. So what I was telling you right now is importance of the story. 
by the way the story will go on and on and on <laughs> so you'll see the first section and part of the second section is all the story then the teaching will start a little later um but the story is not just like a story just have, you have to go, go through it you have to pick up all these valuable gems which later become part of the system of vedanta they all come from here from this one and from other upanishads we'll see we'll keep coming across similar teachings uh but the actual teaching of vedanta will start later it's something like bhagavad gita if you see the gita the first chapter is just the background arjuna's problem actual teaching by krishna starts in the second chapter and that too in the 11th uh, shloka of the second chapter and shankaracharya is quite impatient there he has written his commentary on the gita but he gives an introduction to the gita then he completely ignores the first chapter and he uh, ignores uh, uh, part of the uh, you know the first 10 verses of the second chapter also and then when the teaching starts 11th verse of 11th shloka of second chapter shankaracharya then starts his commentary also um here shankaracharya is, is not so impatient he gives a fairly good commentary on the story itself um all right let's start the story what is this story ushan havai so this havai these uh, these are called this indeclinable participles they they talk about an ancient time a very old time it was so Uh, it, it such goes uh, so goes the story in very ancient times what was there vajashravasa so vajashrava uh, is the rishi the me- literally me- literally the meaning of the name and we get this from the commentary is um the vaja means annam literally it means uh, rice or food but it also means material possessions and shravaha is the purse is fame so the fame gained by giving up donating or or giving large quantities of food or just material possessions including food so the person who is a person a top donor every university is very aware a top donor so vaja shravasa is a top donor he the, literally the name means one who is famous for donating material possessions uh, precisely rice or food and vajashravasa is the son of vajashrava the son of vajashrava is vajashravasa or shankaracharya says it's just a name so it could be a person who is famous for giving away everything and we'll see why he's saying that we'll see this person gives away donates uh, but also it could just be the name so vajashravasa is the son of the uh, famous donor vajashrava what did he do he performed a ritual uh, he performed ritual now we must understand this is where the upanishad is connected to the rest of the vedas remember i told you the vedas have broadly two parts the ritualistic portion and the knowledge portion and the upanishads which concern us is a knowledge portion the knowledge portion itself is vedanta upanishads and vedanta are the same thing but the upanishads are part of the vedas and this you will see in all the upanishads the roots lie in the in the ritualistic portion so you will see this it's part of that culture um i'll just uh, all right let me go on so what did this person do vajashravasa nachiketa's father he performed a ritual there are many kinds of rituals and these rituals were meant to give you some results um, you know rainfall victory over enemies prosperity children and most important which will give you heaven after death so all these rituals they generate plenty of good karma there was a technical name for that it was called apurva uh, the results generated by vedic rituals so these results will give rise to um, to you know what you deserve you can like credit you can you spend it and you can you can't have a choice exactly that you can't say that i'm going to do this ritual and let the latest iphone come to me you can't do that but you can it's just a lot of good karma in your account so your life will be good here in this life and after death you go to get to go to heaven one of the better have best heavens and after that you get a good birth again so all of this is ensured by the karma kanda so you can see how attractive it was that was the kind of 
popular religion which people had in those days. And we can see Nachiketa's father is one of them. So those rituals were performed for results, especially heaven. Um, so they were called yagya, fire rituals, or yaga, fire rituals. And they were performed by um, anybody who was part of the Vedic culture. One of those rituals is the Vishwajit Yagya. It's called the Vishwajit Yagya. And uh, the speciality of this Yagya was that after the performance of the ritual, you would give away, you would donate all your possessions, all your material possessions to the priests and everybody else who has come to the fire ritual. It's a big affair. You invite many priests. So you give away all your possessions to them. It's part of the ritual. In fact, all of these rituals, dana, that means you give some uh, gifts to the, uh, the priests who have come, that is part of that. And they will bless you. You give the gifts after the ritual is performed and you give those gifts to the priests. And there are multiple priests representing the different Vedas and each had a different, uh, different role to perform in large scale pujas. Now, nowadays in Hinduism, we have, have these grand pujas which have replaced the fire rituals the big scale fire rituals are very few now, not that they are not performed, still performed in Hinduism, but very rare. But now we have the large scale pujas. So one is over now, uh, Ganesh puja is over now, big one. And another big one is coming, which is Durga puja. And in part of them, you will, in, in, as a part of these big pujas, you will find a, a small uh, or one homa, one uh, fire ritual also will still be performed. In those days, these, that homa, the fire ritual, yagya or yaga, was the main ritual to be performed. And always as part of that, there was some donation to be given, some gifts to be given, especially to the priests, the brahmanas who came and performed it on your behalf. Now, the speciality of this particular fire ritual, Vishwajit Yaga, is that you would give away everything. All that you possess, you give it away. Um, so what was the purpose of this Vishwajit Yaga? Actually, no direct result is mentioned, but there's a discussion in the Mimamsa Sutras about this. And the point is that this, this Yaga, you would perform it to go to heaven after death. There are others also like this. This was also specifically for going to heaven. Now, these rituals in those days and today also, all the rituals in Hinduism can be performed in two ways. The primary way is I do it because I want something. I do it because I have a desire. Performing the ritual with desire. This is called Sakama Karma or Kamya Karma. Sakama Karma or Kamya Karma with desire. What is my desire? I will go to heaven after death. But there's another way of performing these rituals, which is without desire. Why would you perform the rituals or pujas without desire? We do it. Most of you who are... Uh, do, do some ritual or worship, you do it actually. The second way is performing it just for the blessings of God. I am a spiritual seeker and I need the blessings of God, of uh, Brahman, Bhagavan, to go ahead in my spiritual path for purification of the mind, for devotion, for knowledge, for all of these things which I am seeking. I am seeking something. I am not seeking anything worldly. Why am I not seeking anything worldly? Because the path I'm walk, walking on, the path of enlightenment, requires me to turn away from these worldly projects. So I am seeking enlightenment, but for that I need something. I need peace of mind, I need a good character, I need strength of mind, um, I need devotion. All of these things I pray for. This is called nishkama, the, without desire. You might say, but you, you just said you have desires. So Sri Ramakrishna solves it beautifully. He says, desire for God is not to be counted among desires because it destroys all worldly desires. Rituals can be performed without worldly desires. If you are a spiritual seeker, you are performing them, then the result will be chitta shuddhi, purification of the mind. And this is not odd. Most of us, when we are doing rituals, so sadhus, devotees, when we go to Ganesh Puja, Durga Puja, what do we pray for? We pay, pray for devotion. We pray for viveka, vairagya, dispassion for the world. We pray for the welfare of the world. Not just my welfare. I, I should get, this is my Christmas shopping list. May God please give me these things. No, then it becomes sakama, with desire. If you pray for the welfare of everybody, then it's, it's um, 
uh, it's it's without any uh, desire there it becomes nishkama karma if you remember it might be faintly familiar from the beginning of the vedanta sara uh, vedanta sara says you give up all kamya karma the qualifications for being an aspirant is that for a spiritual seeker a vedantin is you give up kamya karma give up karmas rituals which are um, motivated by desire and you may perform the karma for chitta shuddhi for purification of mind which is very necessary for um, for uh, for vedanta for getting the fourfold qualifications now the question arises so nachiketa's father vajashravasa what did he do it with did he have a desire or was he going to become uh, was he trying to get enlightened he had a desire ushan means he says with desire kamayamana shankaracharya says in his, his com- uh, commentary he wanted something what did he want we know from the context he performed the vishwajit uh, sacrifice whose goal is heaven so he wanted to go to heaven perfectly common kind of understanding in those days i will perform this ritual and i will go to heaven so ushan desiring a result which is heaven vajashravasa rachiketa's father this vedic brahmana sarva vedasam dadu he gave up all his material possessions he donated all his material possessions that is the clue which tells us he performed the vishwajit yaga not something else so he performed the vishwajit sacrifice now we might ask okay so tasyaha nachiketa nama putra asa he had a son called nachiketa this is the beginning of the story next mantra ंग which aroused his faith his shraddha in himself and he spoke he thought he thought something what he thought we'll see later so what is the meaning of this mantra the boy kumaram santam at that time he was a little boy kumaram santam here means little boy here is below the age of 5 the classification is shishu child little boy or little kid and then from 5 to adolescence 10 years 11 or 12 years before becoming an adolescent or a teenager you are uh, it's called a kumar or kumari uh, a boy or a girl and after that um, becomes yuva or yuvati a youth um, a young man or a young woman so what age was nachiketa he was pre adolescent shankaracharya makes that point he was pre adolescent he was a little boy dakshina suniyamana su when he saw the priests carrying away the dakshina the things given away by his father who was supposed to give away everything he didn't actually we will see that and nachiketa seeing what his father was doing his faith where did that faith come from because he is brought up in such a family he has seen the whole vedic culture he has studied he's he's studying obviously he's still a kid uh, and uh, um, he has seen the rituals being performed he knows what is what should be done and he sees what his father is doing so um you know the sense of right and wrong comes up um, and kids can be very forthright so he's going to tell his father what you're doing is wrong you're cheating so manyata he thought he thought to himself what did he think so this shraddha vivesha was inspired by was filled with shraddha with faith this is um, Swami Vivekananda loved the Katha Upanishad. For one of the reasons was this one. For many reasons, it was his favorite Upanishad. But this Shraddha, the faith, he wanted everybody to have that kind of faith. He says no spirituality is possible without that faith in oneself. That uh, it is true. I have a, the highest, noblest goal in life, and I can do it. I shall pursue it. That is the meaning of my life. That shows what great esteem one holds oneself in. one considers oneself fit for god realization for enlightenment not anything less so that means you have a great respect for yourself that is shraddha 
there this is the highest self esteem and uh, in krishna, uh, krishna also in the bhagavad gita he scolds arjuna klaivdyam masma gamah partha he says don't be uh, in this paralyzed neutered in this way oh, oh arjuna you're a great warrior stand up and fight do your duty you want to become enlightened then you have to get up and be up and doing whether you want to be a, a great warrior and win the kingdom then you have to be up and doing you want to enjoy something in the world achieve something you have to be up and doing you want to become enlightened and free even more so you can't be paralyzed like this that is that was just the opposite of shraddha and he wanted krishna wanted arjuna to awaken that shraddha basically in positive psychology they put it in a very simple way nothing is going to work for us until we make up our minds to change all this psychology spirituality everything will begin to work for us if we make up our mind i am going to change my life i am going to make a difference in my life so this willingness to change is crucial and this must first come from us if i make up my mind i'm this is the way it is going to be nothing more is going to happen then it's done for there is uh, no possibility of anybody helping us uh, i have given this example of the difference between arjuna and uh, uh, duryodhana you know in the, in the um, mahabharata the hero is the pandavas and especially arjuna the great uh, archer and warrior duryodhana is the, is the villain now it's an interesting thing that you know one might say that the great war was fought why did krishna teach all this wonderful wisdom to the hero arjuna was already a good guy if he had gone and taught it to the bad guy to the villain to duryodhana then maybe there could be might war might have been averted if he had converted the bad guy into a good guy krishna actually tried you know the story of the mahabharata krishna tried he went to duryodhana tried to convince him that what you are doing is wrong what you are doing is not dharma this is dharma and this is adharma this is right and this is wrong and you know duryodhana's response to it classic response he says and it's it's psychology he was honest he said janami dharmam natyame pravritti i know what is right i know what is wrong you don't have to tell me what is right and wrong i know i am doing wrong things i know i am not doing what is right i know i am doing what is wrong see right and wrong is not my problem then what is your problem i know what is right i don't feel like doing it natyame pravritti so honest i don't feel like doing it uh, i know what i'm doing is wrong i can't stop myself from doing it why can't you when he so deep in this psychology duryodhana exposes he tells krishna look my problem is this kenaapi devena hridistitena yatha niyojito asmi tatha karomi there is some power within me and uh, that is this internal you know my vasanas call it whatever you today freud will call it uh, unconscious urges whatever it is my id the subconscious so the urges there it is forcing me to act in this way i can't do anything at no point did he say i'm willing to change please help me what everything the duryodhana said was truth but never did he say this is my condition how do i change arjuna says the same thing in the bhagavad gita atakenoyam papam charati purushah atakena prayuktayam papam charati purushah forced by what force by what subconscious urge force does a person do anichchanapi without not willingly is forced into the wrong path you can just have to see an addict to see that person is suffering so running after drugs or drink or whatever it is person would be if i didn't if 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 it is possible to be free of this demon the person would be free of this demon but is not able to stop it so arjuna acknowledges that there is this force which even when i know what is wrong makes me do it even when i know what is right there is no motive power to do it but arjuna asks how can i change what can i do please help me please teach me and then krishna teaches so this is the difference arjuna has that shraddha the faith in himself that this knowledge of brahman which krishna is telling me about this is a wonderful thing the second chapter in the gita krishna tells him it's all taken from these upanishads a lot of it from kata upanishad 
Arjuna feels, I can do this. I want this. Duryodhana has no interest. He is okay with continuing the way he is continuing. So this Shraddha, it entered into Nachiketa. Um, then what did he see? Why did he react in this way? So here you see humor. Um, no, it will come next. Something like Mandukya Upanishad, you see in contrast, no stories um, n- uh, and also singularly humorless. It's a, it's a very serious kind of Upanishad. Now you will see funny stuff coming up next. Third mantra. Pito daka jagdha trina dugdha doha nirindriya ananda namate loka tansa gachatita dadat the one who gives cows like these, which have drunk water, which have eaten grass, which have, which have been milked uh, once for all, which cannot give birth to calves, giving donations like this, giving gifts like this, assures you of going to the lower worlds, the worlds, the cheerless worlds, hellish worlds. You will attain to hellish worlds. Okay. What, what is this? This is very um, sort of very ancient humor. Remember, you're supposed to give away everything. And that includes in those days, if you were a wealthy person, you had lots of cows. So cows were a kind of wealth at that time. Um, we know that classic scene in the Brihadarnik Upanishad, we'll get to it eventually in a few years' time, where the great Vedanta teacher, Yagyavalkya, who comes to the court of King Janaka, the Emperor Janaka, the, and he's, this is going to be a big debate uh, on the nature of ultimate reality. So see, in an emperor's court in those days in ancient India, they were having debates among scholars. And what was the, the topic? What's the ultimate reality? And the one who knows the ultimate reality, the best, the best of the knowers of Brahman, they will get a thousand cows. That's the promise. So the debate, and there is a result of the debate that you'll get a thousand cows. And Yagyavalkya, the great Rishi, who is the hero of that whole Upanishad, the teacher of Brahman, he comes and he has a student. He tells his student, drive away all those cows and take them to our ashram. Even before the debate. And they, all the debaters are furious. And they, they howl in protest and they say, what? You think you are the best knower of Brahman? Without any debate, you're claiming that? And there's humor there because Yagyavalke says, oh, no, no, no. I never said this, this, that I am the, you know, the best knower of Brahman among all of you. I just want the cows. <laughs> this go calm or be, I just wanted the cows. I'm just taking the cows away. And of course, there's a long debate. And his greatest opponent is actually a woman, a rishi who is a lady, Gargi. And they have this long debate where Yagyavalkya teaches uh, Brahman. Anyway, similarly, you see, wealth, cows are wealth. And so among all the things that his father is donating, he's donating the cows. But Nachiketa notices he's donating the worst of the cows. He's not giving away the good stuff. So I'm sure he's just put the good stuff somewhere else and he's just giving away what he doesn't want anyway. So it's, um, and he says, you are suppo- you want to go to heaven with all these rituals. But don't you know that if you cheat in this way, you are going to go to hell. You'll go to the world's Cheerless words, ananda loka. Nanda means joy. Ananda, no joy. Nirananda. Ananda is joy. Nirananda, no joy. Ananda is also no joy. You will go to the worlds which are joyless, cheerless, dark, full of suffering, hell. You'll go to hellish worlds. Why are you doing this? So that, that, that's what he thought. And when he spoke up, he didn't say this, but he was thinking this. Um, what is the meaning of these words? Pitodaka, having drunk water. What does it mean? It, it's so old and feeble, it can't drink water anymore. So it's drunk water for the last time, the cows. Jagdhatrina, having eaten grass. That means it can't eat anymore also, can't digest anymore. It's so old and feeble and about to die. So it's having the one who has eaten for the last time. Dugdhadoha, having been milked for the last time. It will not give any more milk also. Nirindriya is not going to give birth to calves also. So the ones which he does not want, he's going to give them away. That's what he's doing. And it's not all that unknown. I mean, I see it all the times in the New York, you see on the steps of the brownstones, all the stuff which are being set out there, you can just, they're there for pickup, you know, you can just curb pick up, you go and pick up whatever you want. 
people, there is sofas, there is old electronic equipment, there is books, and they're just for taking away. But they are not the best stuff of the people in there. They're just the stuff people want to get rid of. So what Rajikator's father did is you see all around, that's exactly what his father was doing. Uh, getting rid of the stuff, too much stuff. I don't want all this stuff. I will give it away to the priests who have performed the yajna. Um, so, <laughs> and the boy sees through it. I mean, children are very honest and forthright that way. He sees through it. And he sees the contradiction in this. He's not only cheating the priests, he's cheating himself. His father is, my father is cheating himself. Isn't it supposed to take him to heaven? Doesn't he know that if he gives away these, you know, he, I know he's got all the nice cows hidden away and all the nice stuff here hidden away. He's giving this stuff away, he'll go to hell. He's just cheating himself. All this is useless, what he's doing. Um, before I go ahead, let me tell you a funny story. Um, this was about 20 years ago. I was a young novice in our ashram in Deoghar in India. And a very senior Swami, Swami Atmasthanandiji, who was the general secretary of our order at that time. Later, he became the vice president and then the, finally the president of our order. He was the 15th uh, president of our order. So he had come to visit. And you can imagine, the general secretary of the order is like the executive head. It's like this, you know, the CEO of a multinational co uh, corporation. So if the CEO comes to visit a small little out-of-the-way branch, like everybody is, it's an unforgettable occasion. He might come once in 20 years, 50 years maybe. So it was a great thing for us to have him there. And we had planned so many things. One of them was a dramatic performance by the school kids. The school boys were going to perform the, the uh, Yama Nachiketa dialogue, this whole story. Um, they, they would perform on uh, little kids, you know, they were, they're all Nachiketa's age, eight, nine, 10 years old. And they're going to perform it on stage in Hindi. And the important mantras, the crucial ones, would be chanted in Sanskrit by the one Swami said he will do the uh, chanting of the difficult mantras in Sanskrit from the background with the harmonium singing in the difficult tune. And the rest of the, the dialogues would be in Hindi. And one of the Swamis, who has passed away since, he fancied himself to be a great theatrical director. He wasn't, but uh, he thought he was. And so he wanted to direct the whole uh, theatrical performance. So the great day arrived, the senior Swami was there. We were all youngsters, young monks, and all the kids were there. Their parents had come, the teachers were there. So one evening, a huge thing. And there were maybe 500 people in the audience. And the kids went up there. The beginning to end, the whole thing was a disaster. I mean, it was just fell apart from the very beginning itself. Uh, so, uh, the kids hadn't memorized their lines properly. And when at the crucial moment, you know, like Nachiket, a little boy is going to ask the great question about what happens after death. Those are going to be chanted in Sanskrit. One Swami had volunteered that I'll be standing by from behind backstage. I'll, you know, with the harmonium, I'll sing the Sanskrit mantras. So just at that time, the kids are there. There's one little boy dressed up as the God of death. Um, and the one little boy dressed up as Nachiketa, and they're going to say, I have this question for you, these, these questions. And they look back at the backstage, nothing is happening. And I was there in the backstage, we are running around, where's that Swami you're supposed to see? At that moment, he has chosen to go to the toilet. So <laughs> you can hear, you could hear the booing and the laughter from the, from the crowds. And uh, um, so, one after another, it, it, it was just, I still remember, it was a, a, a horrifying experience. And when the time came, the first question was three questions. Nachiketa got three boons, you know, so he, he asked for three boons. And the final one was the question, which led to the whole Vedanta teaching. So first boon and the second boon. Uh, then the king of death asks, I, you could see the kids themselves were flustered, you know, they, they knew it was going very badly. So the king of death asks, ask for your third boon, oh, oh child. And somebody from the audience, there are a lot of boos and catcalls. Somebody from the audience said, tell him I don't want anything more. We'll be spared this torture. <laughs> so it'll bring this thing fast to an end. So it ended finally. And while everybody was, I mean, the parents and teachers enjoyed it. it little kids, you know, so it was all very, it was all fun. Um, so when they were leaving and the, the crowning thing was, this Swami, who was the director of this disaster, he had the 
the guts to go up to that senior Swami, Atmastanji, and uh, ask him, so Swami, did you like it? How was it? And the Swami who, did, who was known for straight speech, you know, he didn't mince his words. He glared at this, uh, the, the director and said, it was horrible <laughs> and, and stomped out. <laughs> I still remember. So that was the story. Now, should we go on to the third mantra? Let's do that. I'll take the comments. I'll just read out the third mantra. What did he actually say to his father, the little boy? He thought this, and then what did he say to the father? Saho vacha pitaram tata kasmai maam dasya siti dvitiyam tritiyam tamho vacha mritya vetva dadamiti he said, he spoke thus to his father. Oh, father, to whom will you give me? Asked, his father was silent. He asked a second time. He asked a third time. Whom will you give me to dad? And then his father shouted back, I'll give you to death. So the idea here is that he asked this sharp question. You are supposed to give everything away. I'm your son, so give me away too. Uh, so it was a pointed question and his father knew. So his father kept silent in annoyance. But the boy is a little boy, so he's persistent. He asks again, so whom will you give me to, dad? Whom will you give me to, dad? And his father says, like today somebody might say, go to hell. He says, go to the house of death. I give you to death. And of course, the next part of the story will be that the little boy goes to the house of death and then the whole story starts. So this is the background. Now, quickly, look, I'll go through the observations and comments. Shanley says, how does one get fulfillment in life? Is perfection a state of mind or is it possible in life because no one is complete? How do we know where to stop to fulfill our desires? First of all, Fulfillment does not come from fulfillment of desires. That's the great insight. Not only of Vedanta, of every religious tradition, every spiritual tradition in the world across. The pursuit of worldly goals will not lead to fulfillment. The pursuit of the limited will not lead to unlimited freedom, unlimited fulfillment. It won't happen. Then we have to look to spirituality. Spirituality promises fulfillment. So where can we get fulfillment in life? Through spirituality. In Vedanta, it's very clear. Through the realization of what we are. We are infinite. By realizing our own infinite nature, infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, when that becomes clear, we are fulfilled. Gaurav asks, outside objects seen by eyes can be reduced to perception. Perception, it sounds like the Ashtavakra retreat. Perception can be reduced to sensing or perceiving. That can reduce to awareness. This makes us understand how this world is appearance in awareness. Yes, you discussed in this retreat and Rupert Spira also emphasizes this fact. Is this approach explained in some Sanskrit scripture? Yes, we will come to it. Don't worry. A uh, number of places and here in the Katopanishad itself, one of the teachings will be this one. Um, if yes, then which one and where? I want to read it so that I can deepen this understanding. We'll come to it, don't worry. It is in fact there, either directly or indirectly, in fact, all of the Upanishadic teachings. In all of the Upanishadic teachings, actually, it's there. We'll see how. And specifically, uh, we'll see here in the Katopanishad, it will come later. In this day, in the form in which Rupert Spira teaches it, it comes from a great non-dualist teacher in the south of India in the 1940s and 50s. Yeah, his name was Atmananda, Krishna Menon. Krishna Menon. Um, he lived in Kerala and he taught this particular method of reducing external world into perceptions, perceptions into mind, mind into awareness. Uh, Jayashri says, what is the difference between Vedas and Puranas? So the Vedas are the original scriptures. The foundational, original, root texts of Hinduism are the Vedas. They are four in number. And we talked about it. What is the structure? The Karmakanda and the Jnanakanda. And what we are studying here are the highest teachings of the Vedas, the Upanishads, final teachings. They are found in the Vedas. The Puranas 
are later texts and they are actually composed. They are not supposed to be eternal wisdom seen by the rishis. No, they are actually composed by the rishis with the idea that what is taught in the Upanishads, the same ideas can be conveyed to the masses in a much easier form through stories and the moral teachings. There will be a lot more, much more stories. I mean, Puranas are full of stories of gods and goddesses. They are not meant to be factual. They are meant to be, uh, they are meant to convey a certain message. And the, the central message of the Puranas is none other than the central message of the Upanishads. The Upanishads are the authority for the Puranas. And today in Hinduism, we worship God in so many forms. You know, Ganesha, Durga, who's come, the Durga Puja is coming, Shiva, the avatars, Rama and Krishna. All of those, they are um, Puranic. They have, some of them have roots in the Vedas, but in the full-fledged form, you know, all the stories we know about they, them, now they're made into television serials. They're all based on certain Puranas. Sean Lee, does heaven exist? How can you convince a non-believer in heaven or hell? A non-believer, you can't convince of heaven or hell. Heaven or hell are matters of faith. And uh, they exist in this sense. If you want to look at it logically, if we do exist after death, and um, that sort of understood that we do exist after death, that's what uh, Nachiketa will ask the god of death, what happens after death. If we do exist after death, we must be existing in some state, in some environment. The environment can be nasty, uh, which is hell. The environment can be very pleasant, which is uh, heaven. And those are all temporary. Just like this life, those existences are also temporary. It's cyclic. It goes on coming and going. Uh, and it's a, yes, it's a matter of faith. But the beauty of Advaita Vedanta is, as we shall see, ultimately heaven, hell, all those are secondary. Ultimately, it's a question of realizing who or what we are here and now. This is called Sadhya Mukti, direct liberation. That's what Advaita Vedanta teaches. That's the difference between it and the dualistic religions, which talk about going to heaven, a post-mortem, you know, the results of religion or spirituality will get after death. Notice the great ritual which this um, uh, Nasiketa's father was performing. When will he go to heaven? After death. And that's the belief. So if you are a good devotee, uh, you will go to the heaven of your choice, you know, to the deity you are worshipping after death. But Advaita Vedanta says enlightenment is to be achieved here and now. And that's far, far higher than any kind of attainment of heaven. Rodrigo says, Nachiketa's father was double cheating, not only was giving away, not giving away everything, he was giving away that part of the wealth that was already spoiled. Yes, that's true. And triple cheating also because he was cheating himself. He didn't know. And one thing I didn't mention is these rituals, the fire rituals, yagas of the Vedic times, down to the pujas which we perform today, there is one principle. All of these principles comes from the Vedas. One principle. If you do these rituals with desires, then it has to be done perfectly. If you don't do it perfectly, you will not get the results and you may get negative results also. So clearly this uh, man was not doing it perfectly. And he would not get the results. Nachiketa is absolutely right. Uh, you will not get, get heaven because you are basically cheating yourself. Not only cheating these priests, but you're cheating yourself. Sandhya says, surprised to see why Rishi is seeking for Swarg and not becoming a Mumukshu. Yes, uh, Shankaracharya points out that um, um, his father was a seeker of results. Nachiketa's father was a seeker of results of Kamana and not um, uh, he was not qualified for Brahma Jnana. He was not seeking enlightenment. And this was very natural. In those days, the majority were like this. And that's not so different at all today. And today also, the majority who go to temples, churches, who perform rituals are for the fulfillment of desires in this world. Or less now for going to the other world, because many people don't believe in it, but they want results in this world. Don't think of his father as any, a particularly great rishi. Uh, so <laughs> he was um, a very religious, a very what you might call a very devout person in the sense of a conventional ritualistic religion. And there are many, many such people even today. 
and clearly in those days there were even more number Sri Ram says just as you explained the meaning of the term vajashava is the meaning there to nachiketa yes is there a meaning to nachiketa the best thing is to take it as just a name and it's still a very popular name among uh, indians for boys boys are called nachiketa many many people have that name but there is a discussion among pandits what does nachiketa if nachiketa were to have a meaning what meaning would it be one meaning is i do not know or i am i am i do not have knowledge so i'm like a seeker of knowledge that it's a sort of etymological derivation from the roots uh, from which the word nachiketa has been made uh, i didn't go into that it's there is a discussion about it siddhat says did nachiketa's father send him to death to see if he would be afraid or help him to overcome the greatest fear that of death no uh, the commentary makes it clear his father was just annoyed he was furious with nachiketa because uh, he was being impertinent that's one but also worse you know what kids do i have done something wrong and i know i have done it wrong and if you point it out especially in front of everybody else um, so i'll i'm bound to become furious that was the source of his fury then also remember this is a teaching technique so shankaracharya says in another upanishad's commentary why are these stories there so he says this is a subtle matter it becomes easy of comprehension if there is a dialogue if there is somebody who asks question and somebody who teaches if there is a teacher and student or two people who are arguing one for this side one for the other side we often find this structure in the upanishads uh, so it's like a dialogue shri says so is there a ramakrishna loka which is heaven yes is that not the ultimate goal yes so uh, that is the ultimate goal if you are a devotee if you would want to maintain your individuality and stay in the presence of god in the form of ramakrishna if that is your ishta devata so that would be called salokya mukti these are vaishnava muktis vaishnavas have a very well developed Uh, categorization of different kinds of heaven and different kinds of liberation so what you are talking about is that advaita vedanta goes much far, uh, further it says it's not a question of going anywhere to this loka that loka even to the highest heaven so ramakrishna loka would be equivalent to vaikuntha kailasha uh, goloka the christian heaven or the islamic heaven brahma loka and vedanta the highest possible heaven but advaita vedanta says why even that realize you are brahman here and now and be free that's what the teaching will be the general idea in vedanta is those who are spiritual practitioners who are seeking knowledge and who are devout if you are sincerely you practice this suppose you do not attain uh, enlightenment the realization that i am brahman but if you have devotion you will not come back or if you uh, you might go to these these highest heaven that means say ramakrishna loka or uh, vaikuntha or kailash or something like that and you would stay there until you attain the final enlightenment that i am brahman that is called krama mukti sequential liberation of course people at a lower level would come back again and continue their spiritual practices okay that's wonderful we will follow up again next week शांति 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 हरि ओम तत्सत श्री राम कृष्णापणमस्तु